Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. The scripture reading today is taken from the several verses in the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Um, let me again welcome you as you're seated. My name's Brent. I'm the pastor here at Christ City Church, and it is really my joy to have you here together with us as we begin a new ministry season. Uh, summer has ended, at least practically speaking in our lives. Because it's the 21st, I realize that. Uh, but we're back to normal, the swing of things. We're getting back into it, uh, both in our personal and professional lives. If you've got kids, you know what that's like with kids and sorting everything out with them, um, but also in our life as a church. We think about this Sunday really being our launch Sunday for the new ministry year. And we think of the ministry year from September all the way through till uh, June of next year. And it's a special day being a launch Sunday. Sunday. And we like to take the first two Sundays of a launch season, the beginning of a new ministry year, to teach about the central realities of who we are as a church. What is it that we're about here together? What binds us together uh, individually and collectively in community and then sends us out uh, in the structures that, that we have as a local church? And the answer, if you didn't know, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news about Jesus is what we're completely and entirely all about as a church. What hold us, what is, holds us together. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take a deep dive, a, a look. It won't be super long, but it's going to be unpacking significant points about that good news message. Just looking at the gospel and how it, it changes our lives as individuals and how we're saved in this glorious way by God as we trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior, who he has sent. So we're going to look at that this morning. And next week what we'll do is we're going to look together at then, okay, if that's how we're all united in one in this gospel, then what are we about? How do we work together as a church, as this community? So the gospel and its effect and saving power in us individually today, the gospel and how it sends us out and binds us together in a common mission um, next week. And actually, the exciting thing about the sermon this morning is that we will conclude the sermon with our baptism testimonies. 
So you're all invited. We're having baptisms at two o'clock down at Kitts Beach this morning or this, this afternoon. Um, but our testimonies will really be uh, the testimonies of those who have now just recently received this gospel and will be getting baptized um, this afternoon. So uh, it's a very exciting morning all about the gospel. And the gospel, if you didn't know, means good news. It means good news. It's good news specifically about Jesus. Good news about who he is, how he's arrived in this world, and what he came to accomplish. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel announced to the shepherds when Jesus was born, I bring you good news. I bring you good news of great joy. The gospel is all about the good news about Jesus. But maybe we still struggle at this point. Maybe we think, man, I, I'm even a Christian and, and I'm not really sure how to articulate what's so good about the good news. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just visiting and you're trying to figure that out. What's so good about this good news, this really churchy word gospel that churches are always talking about? What is that good news? Or maybe if you were asked when you left this place this afternoon, this morning, and you walk out onto Burrard Street and someone walked up to you and said, hey, I just saw that you were at that church. Um, what's so good about Jesus? Maybe you can imagine you'd be a little stuck. And you think, well, uh, I mean, something about salvation and sin maybe, but I don't know how to communicate my felt experience of that to you in ways that make any sense. And I'm struggling at this point. Like, how do I do that? What's so good about the good news of Jesus? What I'm hoping this morning is that as we look at this thing that binds us all together, this good news about Jesus, that we would actually be able to sink our hands into and hold on to five specific things that are good about the good news about Jesus. So that we'd be equipped and you'd be equipped to, to go out onto the streets of Vancouver this afternoon and throughout this year to feel more able to have something to say, to articulate the good news that you've come to know in Jesus. So five things. Why is the gospel good? For five reasons. I'm going to walk through them right now. First, the gospel good news about Jesus is good because it's true. It's good because it's true. But not truth in the abstract. Like I, I think that I mean, it is true in the abstract, but that's not what I'm talking about. It's not truth like philosophy class truth. Like, what is true? What is reality? And we just have endless discussions. That's not very encouraging to the average person on the side of the, the road. But true in terms of what is, what is life? What is the true news that would lead me to living well in this world that I'm in? The gospel is good news because it's true news about how to live well in this world that we are in. And who doesn't want to live well? Who doesn't want to have a sure guide to help them to sort out this thing called life in a way that's reliable and trustworthy? And our problem in life is that it's actually difficult to know how to live. Can I get an amen? It's hard to know how to live, right? And in life... People have lots of opinions about how it's best to live. Some of those opinions are good opinions. Some of those opinions, they're a little suspicious. They're not so good. You probably have your own thoughts about how best to live. And how do we sort out in that mess what is true and reliable ways to live? 
Because what we find is that as the years go by in our lives and we accumulate, accumulate more days under this sun on this globe spinning through the universe, that we make mistakes. We mess it up. And even when we thought we kind of knew what we were doing, we wake up one morning and we think, man, that thing that I pursued that I thought was going to lead to my satisfaction, it didn't work out and I'm pretty broken. Right? That, that thing, that idea that I thought described who I am as a human being and what I'm made for and, and how to live in this world, uh, it's, it's empty. It was wrong. And here I am broken. And maybe my soul's even a little warped in ways that I can't quite put my finger on, but I'm, I'm feeling and, and I don't know what to do. See, making choices in life is like getting lost in an infinite spirit park. Can you imagine Spirit Park? If you don't know, in Vancouver, there's this park bigger than Stanley Park, and it's just a forest full of this web of trails. And imagine you're, you're out there, and it's dark, and it's infinite, and there's all these choices, left or right or left or right or left or right. I mean, how do I get from where I am to where I want to go? It's like getting lost in this infinite Spirit Park with no roadmap in the dark, and it makes us anxious. It stresses us out. It's hard to know how to live. And it's against this backdrop of confusion that I want to submit to you first that Jesus is good news. Because into our confusion, into the darkness of Spirit Park in an infinite way, Jesus has arrived on this planet with a map and a flashlight. He wants to help you. He has a map because he's the God who created you. He made you, the Bible says. He made this world that you live in, the Bible says. But he's not like a GPS, because that would be kind of cool. Okay, he made me, that's great. You know, that's like my GPS. It knows where I'm supposed to be as well. But your GPS, you can't talk to. There's no relationship. It's just kind of way out there distant. You just got a robot voice talking to you through your phone. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is good news because he's got a map and the flashlight, but he even came to you as a person. He entered this world and was born a human being. And because he's fully God and fully man, he knows what it's like to live, to suffer, to face confusion and hardship. He knows even how to die and what that's like. And he wants to reach out and help you in this mess. And he says in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Isn't that hopeful? That's what I want. I want, I want a sure guide, and this is the first good thing about Jesus. He's a truth that, that helps, who helps us to live well. It's the goodness of, of Jesus as a sure guide for life that led John Newton, who's a, a very famous person in the history of the church. He wrote Amazing Grace, but he was the captain of a slave ship before he became a Christian. And it was at a time in the world when everybody thought slaving was okay, basically. And Jesus showed up and changed his life, and he wrote these incredible words as he turned away from his sin and towards the salvation Jesus offers. He says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. The gospel is good news because Jesus has come to us as a truth, as a sure guide for life. But second, the gospel is good news because Jesus has come to build a better community of human beings on earth. And we need a better community. Again, can I get an amen? 
Amen. We're isolated and we're lonely in this world. Isn't that true? Are you isolated and lonely? Do you feel that at times? Like it, it's, it's the thing we talk about all the time in this modern world. And then even when we do manage to create some community in this city, in our neighborhoods, in this world, it's not always good community. Sometimes we band around things that bring us together that are bad things. And then even when once in a while we stumble upon the good thing that we should be doing together as human beings, it doesn't last. Somebody gets upset at someone and the thing falls apart and it just deteriorates and it doesn't endure. And what we build doesn't stand the test of time. But if this neighborhood and this world are to be changed for the better, we need a new kind of community. One where all of us can belong. The thing about even the good communities that are part of this world is that oftentimes you don't belong there. You're not invited to those communities. We need a better community where we all can belong, where we all can be joined together, not in bonds of hatred, but bonds of love, not in bonds of pride, but something good so that we can work towards and build something good that will last and stand the test of time. And friends, this is what Jesus came to do. He's good because he came to build a better community and he did it in this very strange way. In his humility and self-giving love, laying down his life, giving us an example of how we should live for others. Jesus said in John 15 verse 12, talking to the disciples, those that would be the, the kernel, the beginning of this new community on earth, he said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And he spoke this in the days when he was going to the cross. He's almost there to die. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus said, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. The fact is a lot of communities have come and gone in this world. But for 2,000 years, God has been building his church. And he's patient and good to us in his church. We mess things up. We're going to be the first to say the church has some striking examples of sin. Of failures of following Jesus. But through our failures, you can see the hand of God and his faithfulness working in us, building in Christians an imitation of Jesus' own love and humility. Where as we work together over time and over the last 2,000 years, we have built something good here because God is at work here by his grace in this community. So Jesus is good news because he leads us to true life. He builds a better community of humans. And third, because he rescues us from slavery to sin. Now, no matter how diverse our backgrounds are or the opinions we walked into this room with, I'm sure that we all agree on a number of things that we should do in our lives. We should help others. No one here thinks no. We should work hard. We should tell the truth. We should be generous and kind. We should forgive others when we've been wronged. We should reconcile and try to get the relationship back online again. But even though we agree often about what is right, have you ever noticed how hard it is to do what is right? It's tough to do. 
And have you found that all your good intentions fly out the window when you're tired, stressed, emotional, or someone else has just treated you poorly and you're like, screw it, (laughs) I'm going to treat you the same way? It's tough. It's hard to live as we know we ought to even towards those who are closest to us, right? Like your kids, your wife, your husband, your friends. You know, there's this family loyalty that we should have and sometimes we're the worst to those people. See, we're trapped so often in our selfishness or our anger or our bitter and hurt feelings and we hurt others. And the Bible calls this being slaves to our sin. And the problem with being slaves to our sin is that it destroys us. It ruins our lives. It ruins our lives and it ruins the lives of others and it ruins this world that God made. (laughs) And then when we find that we're broken in our sin and that things are sucking, we just go to our coping mechanisms, right? We just try to numb it with various pleasures that then lead us to be further trapped in various addictions and whatever it might be. But the good news about Jesus is that he's the Savior who's come to free us from our sin, And to free us into fullness of life. It's amazing. It's incredible. The Savior who's come to do this work. Romans 6, 21 to 22, the Apostle Paul in this passage, he talks about this. He says, what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? He's saying, when you used to live and following just being slaves of your sin, how is that working out for you? And the answer is, not very good. Not very good. For the end of those things is death, Paul says. But now that you've been set free from sin, for the grace and the power and salvation that's in Jesus, and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. That's just talking about the way that we're changed by God's grace. He works in us. He changes us for the better. And the end of all of that is eternal life. That sounds awesome. I want that. Free me from my sin. Give me the eternal life, Jesus. I'm in. And fourth... The good news of the gospel isn't just freedom from slavery to sin, but it's freedom from the consequences that all that sin deserves. And the Bible is clear what those consequences are. In, in Romans 6.23, just a verse after the ones I just read, in case we missed it somehow before, the Paul, Apostle Paul, he writes plainly, for the wages of sin is death. You work sin in your life, you're going to get paid death. It's not good. And it makes sense if you think about it because all of our sin and my sin, your sin, it's ultimately against the God who created this place and us in the first place. So it's all, it's all against him. We're ruining one another and the world he made by our sin. That he's given all these beautiful things to us as, our, as a gift and, and when we turn away from him or we're living in our sin, we just break all that stuff that he's given to us as a gift. And our sin, the Bible says, deserves God's justice. But what is just then would be for us to no longer be part of this glorious and good thing that he's trying to do. What would be just would be for our death. And to die in the Bible's understanding is a big, all-encompassing concept. It means to be cut off from God who is life. Cut off from God who is the life giver. Separated from him forever. But that's why Jesus came. Because he came to earth as our substitute savior. To suffer and die, to take all the blame and the shame and the guilt and the penalty and stain of our sin 
onto himself so that we could be forgiven and purified and reconciled to God. See, as Jesus hung on that cross, all that we have done in our sin was put on him so that he would bear God's justice instead of us. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, For our sake, he made him sin. He, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. He was the perfect one. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And that leads to the last and the best thing about the gospel. Because when Jesus steps forward as our substitute and takes the penalty of our sin, we're no longer separated from the life of God. Our sin's forgiven. It's washed clean. Now we're, the Bible says, reconciled to God. I was teaching the kids this summer uh, in a kids camp at Christ City Church, and the action for the verse we're memorizing for reconcile was an embrace, was to be reconciled to God. Because when you have a broken relationship and you're at odds, the symbol of that relationship being truly restored is so often an embrace, welcomed in, welcomed and reconciled back into relationship with God who is infinite life. 2,000 years ago, three days after Jesus was crucified, God acted definitively in this world to reverse the direction of death and sin. And he did it by raising Jesus Christ physically from death. And when we are reconciled to God, what happens is that we begin to share in the life, the power of the eternal life of Jesus' resurrection. As Jesus himself said in John 11, 25 to 26, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus brings us life, reconciled to the life giver. A life that is full, a life that will lead to our resurrection with Jesus when he returns. Yes, but we don't have to wait for that day to experience this life. This life begins now. This life begins today. The moment someone calls on Jesus to save them from their sins, in that moment, God unites them to Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. They're reconciled to God, and that union with God by the Holy Spirit is deep, authentic, pure, spiritual life with the God of the universe who is good. It's the best part about the gospel of Jesus. To be brought into relationship with God before we were separated from him. See, when you're in relationship with God, a ton of amazing things happen. that can only be described as life. And I want to talk to you about a bunch of them right now in a row. First, you are given a new identity. Where your sins left you feeling maybe worthless or ugly or rejected, God Most High, when you are reconciled to Jesus in his life, God Most High calls you chosen one. The one I've chosen for myself. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us 
in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Your new identity is chosen one as you trust in Jesus. And overflowing with love for you, he goes on. Your new identity is beloved, adopted child. In Ephesians 1, 4-6, he says, In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And in relationship with God, your future is bright. I don't know how wealthy your parents are or what kind of inheritance you're expecting or not expecting, but you have God as your father if you are in Christ. And that means your future is bright and you have the richest of all inheritances given to you. And Paul says, Romans 8, 8, 16, says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, with Jesus, the beloved son. So think about the resources of God for a moment. What's at his disposal to give Jesus? everything. You know what you have as an inheritance in Christ? You're promised a renewed world. Everything made right and good and gifted to you under Jesus, your king and older brother. You're heirs with Jesus. It's a relationship that is good and rich. And in, in this relationship, we could go on in this relationship, God himself is your father, your counselor, and guide. Romans eight fourteen says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And when you are over overwhelmed with sorrow and suffering in your life, you are promised that God himself will comfort you. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. And we get to talk to this God. I think maybe the most underrated part of the Christian life is prayer. That we're welcomed as God's beloved children in relationship with him into his presence. You all underrate that, I promise you. All right, but this is glorious riches that we can come before this holy and wonderful and awesome God with confidence in prayer, sharing with him our joys and our sorrows, our struggles, asking for him to give us help and to aid us in our lives and to know that when we open our mouths, he leans in. He hears us. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And in relationship with this God, not only is all of this true, but we are also changed for the better. And it's not a change that's just dependent upon our willpower because, man, every New Year's resolution, we somehow fail in June or maybe earlier, right? We give up and we don't have enough energy. But this change, it's not dependent on our determination or effort, the change that God wants to work in us to, to create virtuous people that are in the image of his son, it's dependent on the faithfulness of the God who's at work in you. It's dependent on the faithfulness of the God who's promised that he will not uh, give up on what he's begun in you until the day that we are made whole. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And as good as all this is, the best is yet to come. Because soon Jesus will return in our relationship with God, our reconciliation to him in fullness of life. It will be complete. One of the most famous passages of the Bible that talks about that is Revelation 21, 3 to 4, that says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I know that's a lot, but let me recap it for you. What's so good about the gospel of Jesus Christ? One, that he's true, that he leads us to life. That's the first thing, that's not two things. He's a true God who leads us to life. Second, that he builds a new community of human beings that we can be part of, a better community. Third, that he frees us from sin. And fourth, he frees us from death. And fifth, that he welcomes us into true, eternal, everlasting life because of the resurrection of Jesus from death. This is good news. It's good news that you can share with others. It's good news I'd love for you to, to grow in confidence in sharing with friends and family and neighbors. It's good news that I'd encourage you to rejoice in and to praise and to thank God for. It's good news that if it's not yours, can be yours today. can be yours right now. Paul says in Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He will save you. He'll save you just like all the people whose testimonies we're going to watch right now. I want you to watch them and keep thinking about this and just rejoice in the way that God is a God who brings life. Uh, my life before I came to Christ was very challenging and tough. My dad almost died, so after that event, I never really had very much faith. I felt that God was very far away. Even though I accepted Christ at a young age of four, I didn't really know him then. Now, last year, at the age of 12, God rekindled my faith, and through my parents' and my grandparents' encouragement, I have been growing steadily and slowly in my faith. After I committed my life to Christ, I feel different now. I've never felt anything like it. I trust in God. I feel God's presence around me. I feel God trying to make me more like Him, and I am trying to model myself more like Christ. I want to be baptized to confess my faith in the Lord and be His example of His steadfast and unfailing love. So I grew up a Buddhist, and my family is a very devout Buddhist family. And um, I've been to many uh, temples to worship, but I didn't feel connected and feel very empty. And uh, in Buddhism, we have to like have compassion for other people first, and I didn't really have it, so I always feel like I'm not deserving to be loved. So my life before Jesus was very empty and always seeking for validation from other people's. And I didn't feel like connected to anyone despite my mom like trying very hard to provide for me and love me. I decided to study abroad in Canada 
And um, I came here expected to be very happy, but I got very depressed and very homesick. And during this time, I met a wonderful friend and I got to stay with her family. And uh, they're a Christian and they um, talk to me a lot about Jesus and God. And uh, she uh, invited me to a Bible study last year. And um, here I got to learn about Jesus for the first time. And when I uh, got to know him, everything in my life changed. After I let Jesus into my life, I, I felt very loved. I stopped complaining about my life and stopped having uh, seeking uh, validation from other people. And because Jesus uh, showed me love and compassion first, so I know how they feel like and I can pass them on to other people. I want to be baptized because I want to tell everyone that I belong to Jesus and He's my Lord and Savior forever. Christ has always been in my life. Um, I grew up in a Christian household. Looking back on it now, I feel like my life was kind of empty. Um, I feel like as if I knew Christ mostly on Sundays. I was very self-reliant. I thought that my, uh, my achievements, how well I did in school, like what sports I did, um, how well I could play the violin, that's what would define me. Coming to Christ um, has been a long journey through my whole life. I've had a lot of time to get to know Him. Um, I feel as though I can see God through nature. I love the outdoors and I can see Him in creation. I also study biology, so I see Christ in like studying the complex um, systems how that He created us. I also have come to Christ through trials and tribulation. I feel as though when uh, super hard situation that I can't control, I, I can only rely on Christ, and that's brought me closer to Him throughout the years. I feel as though lately uh, coming to UBC, um, I've I've grown close to a lot of um, good friends, and I. It's helped me to, to grow closer to God. And it's through all these experiences that um, have allowed me to make a decision to fully commit my life to Christ. Life with Christ is kind of the opposite of what life before Christ was. I don't have to stress about needing to be the best at something or needing to do this sport to, to have like value. I wanna be baptized to say to the world that I can't rely on my own strength. Um, to live a fulfilling life um, or to accomplish things. I need Christ in my life and it's through his, his love and his act on the cross that my sins are forgiven. I was born in a Christian household so I always knew the Lord but I never really got the chance to meet him on a personal level and I started guiding my life based on worldly wisdom a life without God as my savior. I came to Christ by attending Christ City Youth. I just connected to the sermons there and it just felt like God was speaking to me through those sermons. And I realized just how much of a mess that my life had become. And I just repented at night. After coming to Christ, I started to tear down the toxic lifestyle that I had developed and I started building a new Christian one with Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to be baptized because I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life down to my final breath. Growing up as a Christian for most of my life, I had amassed a lot of head knowledge and theology about God and, and my faith. But if I were honest with myself, uh, I'm ashamed to say that for most of my Christian life, 
I have been a half-hearted Christian. God for me was more of a means to an end rather than an end in himself. He was somebody that you would just pray to uh, whenever you needed something or wanted something. I was obsessed about trying to be great on my own strength and, and, and trying to uh, achieve success by myself. The more that I started to adopt that mentality, the more that I started to lose trust in God and started to trust more and more in my own power, my own strength, my own wisdom and intellect. This eventually led me to 2019. During that year, I would say that was like the prime of my life. I was uh, dating this amazing girl that I thought I was going to marry. Uh, I was making more money than I could ever imagine. I was fit, I was healthy. In that same year, um, all these calamities started to happen. The relationship didn't work out. Um, I, I lost my job, lost my uh, investments. Um, I had lost everything. And I realized that I had rejected God and, and elevated myself, elevated all these things that I was chasing above Him. And so in my despair, in my heartbreak, in my pain and agony, I just cried out to God. I cried out to God in my afflictions, and God heard me. And, and I'm so thankful to be on this, this new journey. Uh, I, I'm not this super Christian all of a sudden. I still have struggles. This year's been tough. There's been a lot of ups and downs. I, I'm just so thankful that, that God has, above all else, just restored my relationship with Him. Given what God has done in my life over these last four years and, and transforming this prodigal son's heart um, to being a, a lover of God, I thought, you know, what better way than to display that inward reality than to be baptized this year. So I, I choose to be baptized for the first time as an expression of my faith and wholehearted commitment in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior over my whole life, over my whole heart, and over all that I possess. To Him be the glory and the honor, the power forever and ever. Amen.